I think two years I was in depression um, after coming back to America and, um, you know, constantly second guessing myself and feeling like I'd ruined my uh, career and, you know, what have what had I done, that kind of thing. Um, Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I am honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello, dear dancers. Welcome to a new episode of the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Today I have a pleasure to feature amazing guest Lila. Actually, our conversation was recorded quite a few months ago, but due to terrible situation and war in Ukraine. I had to pause many of my activities, including Ballad Dance Live podcast, but now I'm happy to share it, to publish it, and to have an opportunity to offer you a new portion of dance inspiration. Lila was one of the most popular working dancers in Cairo for 13 years. She has not only performed for parties and weddings, but also danced continuously for Nile cruises in the best hotels and concerts on television. Lila is also a well-known actress and model and is a recognizable personality throughout the Middle East, being involved in hundreds of TV shows, music videos, TV commercials and films. She has produced some of the best-loved dance CDs today, and I bet you probably have at least some of them in your music library. She was the founder of Camp Negum, a yearly live music dance festival in Egypt for eight years. She has taught workshops around the world, and after moving to the States in 2015, she continues to teach online and in person focusing on the connection between the music, culture, and self-expression behind the dance. Her writings about dance and culture are utilized by scholars and dancers around the world. In our today's conversation, we discussed many different things, and she shared so many stories from her life in Egypt and in the States. Uh, we talked about her experience of taking classes with Raya Hassan, the beginning of her career, both in States and in Egypt. Uh, we also talked about some tough things and tough lessons she learned during her career in Cairo. And we also talked about some unbelievable things, like, for instance, her managing dance career, active dancing in Egypt while pregnancy. And not only once, but actually twice in her life. And we talked about the switch in her career, moving from Egypt back to US, and how it went through, how 
what things change in her dance life and about her current teaching activities as well as some thoughts on competition scene in states and in general around the world. So I'm pretty sure you will get lots of inspiration, uh, lots of surprises in this conversation and lots of very positive emotions, although we talked about very tough things sometimes. And I was actually really impressed with Lila's positive and light personality, although she had to deal with a lot of really tough things in her life. So that's regarding our today's uh, conversation and today's episode. But I also want to remind you that although even I renewed, resumed uh, publishing Baladance Life podcast, uh, things uh, and the situation in Ukraine is still very, very, very tough and uh, your both attention and support are really needed. So I highly encourage you to check out information and to continue support through whichever resources you are trusting, whichever channels, whichever organizations. If you also need some advice or some direction, you can visit my webpage yanadens.com slash support-ukraine. I will put link in the show notes to this episode where I combined quite a few of organizations through which you can donate, as well as information about Ukrainian ballet dance teachers who resumed, or at least partially resumed, their dance activities and with whom you can study to get their courses and in this way support them directly. Support both their families and their activities to gather fundraising funds because many teachers are involved in that today too. And on this note, I wish you to stay well and safe. And let's dive into our amazing conversation with Lila. Hello, dear Lila. Welcome to the Baladance Life podcast. I'm very excited to have you as our featured guest and uh, looking forward to our like conversation. And thank you once again for joining us today and uh, sharing your time and talk- to talk about your dance experience and your dance story. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. You have very exciting and very rich dance career. But I'm really curious, how was the very beginning for you? How did you actually like found, find bail dance? How you got introduced? And do you remember that moment that clicked like, oh, I want this to be my profession? So I was living in a mountain town in central Washington state and some crazy reason they had, this town had a rich history of belly dance and it wasn't Egyptian or anything like that. The, it was tribal and, um, but, you know, because over here on the West coast, it's kind of the home of tribal. So there's a very rich history of tribal belly dance in this town I was living in. And so I went to a show with a couple friends and saw the belly dancing and thought, oh, this is fantastic. And um, a group, a woman in that group had wanted to start teaching dancers. She hadn't taught before. And so um, I volunteered to be her guinea pig. Uh, And her name was Tabriz. And so I learned a little bit about belly dance. And um, four of us that had been learning kind of formed a group and we um, did little local shows and uh, it, yeah, it was really fun. Like all kinds of belly dance. We, mm. you know, would do whatever, any kind of folklore. And most of it, we, you know, we kind of knew what we were doing, but not a hundred percent. 
Um, and then I started dancing. Um, I, I had, then I started dancing in Seattle. There were at that time, this was a long time ago. <laughs> there were a lot of nightclubs in Seattle and all of them had live music. And so my first show that was solo was to a live band, mm -hmm. which was kind of nerve wracking because I was a very baby dancer. I'd been dancing maybe less than a year. And, um, then kind of all in that time period, a friend of mine who was Egyptian got married in Alexandria. And so a group of us went to the wedding in Alexandria. And so they had a belly dancer at the wedding. And the minute I saw the belly dancer with that giant band and folklore dancers, and I was completely hooked mm. from that, that time on. And so I, I came back and I continued to dance with the troupe that I was dancing with. And we, you know, and we continued learning and we would go to workshops and learn all of these um, great choreographies. And then we were performing all over the place by that time. And I was performing solo in the nightclubs in Seattle. So I was dancing to an Egyptian orchestra. It was a five-piece Egyptian orchestra in America, if you can even imagine. And then a two-man band that were Lebanese and a Persian guy that was like a one-man band. So it was kind of, it was like all these different uh, kinds of Arab music, you know, and um, different venues and um then the customers started saying to me, you should go to Egypt to like learn more. And, you know, especially the band members, the, they were the MV Orchestra. Anybody knows them from Seattle They're They've been around forever. Amazing guys. And they said, you know, you should go to Seattle or you should go to um, Egypt to learn more about uh, Egyptian style belly dance. And that's, um, that's what I did. I thought, mm. oh, I'll go for three months. And yeah. And then the history <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move to Egypt in our conversation, I'm actually curious, how did you got your very first gig? Do you remember? Was it someone recommending you or you took some actions to actually got that first solo performance? It was a place called Tula's. And the whole idea of it was that they, there was this band and it was the, the Persian guy, the one man Persian guy. And he would play for um, like the main star dancer, but then two or three new dancers would come and be the warm-up act. Mm -hmm. So they booked these new dancers in different ones every time. And so I was the warm-up act for the main dancer. Mm -hmm. That was my first solo gig. But was it you reaching to apply? Like to, to Did you reach to them or someone recommended like sort of like, oh, there is this no, new dancer? I, I, at that time, I was like, all I wanted to do was dance, right? Because uh -huh. I'd been dancing like just a little over a year, right, right around a year. And all I wanted to do was dance. So I called everybody and I'm like, I'm great. I want to, <laughs> I want to dance at your place, you know, and they're all like, who, <laughs> who are you? We, we've never heard of you. And so this was like the, you know, some people who are like, oh yeah, we, we have, you can sign up and dance. You know, we don't care what you dance like. So it, it was that's how I got the gig because they didn't care if I was a good dancer it was like whoever signed up and showed up so oh, it was funny yeah, but somewhere I, we need to start <laughs> somewhere you need to start yeah. yeah but it was super fun and that kind of started my whole career in Seattle then before I went to Egypt mm. 
Yeah, it's so interesting yeah. how many different like routes and routes we can take, like just to get into and start and take whatever opportunity, whatever life shows us as opportunity, just go for it. When you mentioned that you went to Egypt to study and originally you wanted to go like for three months or so, what was your right. plan to study? Because that's a, a thing for dancers. Like, okay, if you go to festival, it's pretty straightforward. Okay, we are going for this like week festival. There is like, the workshops uh, uh, with these teachers. And okay, the study plan is uh, clear. But when someone decides like, okay, I want to go to Egypt to study, what exactly was on, on your mind? Like the specific teacher or you kind of felt like, okay, I'll figure out there like... What was your idea of going to Egypt to study? <laughs> I, when I had gone to the wedding a few years before that in Alexandria, I had gone back to Cairo. And it was kind of funny because the people I went with, the Egyptians that I was there with, one of their aunts used to be a belly dancer, like back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they loved belly dancing. So when... Um, when I said, oh, I'd like to see belly dancers, they took it upon themselves to show me every belly dancer in Cairo. Like we saw Dino, we saw Lucy, we saw everybody, right? And they were having a great time because they're, you know, they're like, this is an excuse to go see belly dancers. And so I had also gone, it just so happened that the very first Ahlan was Ahlan that was in Cairo, not in Sharm el-Sheikh, was happening at the Pyramiza at that time. And so we called and said, we want to come to the closing show because we didn't really know anything about the workshops. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was really at the point I could have taken a workshop then. I was so new. But there, it was it was kind of crazy disorganized. And they're just like, just show up. And so I just walked in and we went to the closing show of Ahlan was Ahlan. And it was a very small group of people down in the disco, the downstairs disco in Pyramiza is what I remember. And... Um, that's when I met Ratya Hassan. And um, I also ran into her about a year later at a workshop. And so then I thought, oh, I can go study with Ratya. And um, Shireen El Safi happened to be in Cairo at the moment, like doing research. And I think I took a few classes with her. I thought I was just going to show up and I'm like, I'll find people, mm -hmm. which actually happened. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I um, was introduced to Dandish um, really early. I saw her in a nightclub and then um, I took some classes with her and then Ida Noor also. So those are the three, kind of the three big dancers that I studied with. Um, just finding a word of mouth. I just asked people. Mm -hmm. And this was a long time ago, granted, you know, there were not, there weren't the connections, like there weren't the standard connections. You just had to find people who knew people kind of. Mm. So Ida Noor wasn't even really teaching at that time. And she um, just had just opened her studio and she said, you know, I'm in terrible shape. I haven't danced in a long time. Come to my studio and I'll start dancing and you can just stand back there and follow me. So those are the first few lessons I had with Ida Noor while she was like getting into the teaching world. Mm. That's interesting. That's a very Different experience from what many dancers today yeah, experiences their studying yeah. anywhere, not only in Egypt, but anywhere. Like now it's so structured, all the classes. How was your experience, like learning experience from Rai Hassan? I'm really curious. There are so many like stories and things uh, about this legendary like dancer and teacher, first of all. So I'm curious about your experience. How, how did it go? Oh, right. Yeah, she, 
Ratya is a huge personality. I mean, from from the minute you meet her, her personality just fills up a room. And she, she, I, I think of her as she's she's a very Egyptian personality too. So I think sometimes foreigners are like, wow, you know, because she'll be teaching and she'll also be talking on the phone and she'll also be doing three or four other things that have to do with her festival or her costume business or whatever. And somehow she keeps it together and does all of them, <laughs> which as a foreigner, I'm like, wait a minute, I have to, if I'm going to teach, I have to teach or I have to talk on the phone, but she can do everything at the same time. Um, I had a lovely experience with Ratya when I first started taking classes from her. She was, um, there were not that many foreigners in Cairo at that time. So she would just sit down after the lesson and she's like, well, do you want a job? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so she'd make a few phone calls and be like, okay, go over there and see if, you know, someone needs a dancer. And she did that for me. My very first job was in Sheraton Cairo in the Aladdin. And that's where a lot of dancers started originally. I think Noor, the Russian dancer started there and um, Dina started there. Um, so she made a phone call and I had a job within a couple days. So Ratya, she was very instrumental in my working in Cairo. Um, I loved her musicality. She could take a, a pop song that I couldn't hear any, like I, I would think, how on earth could I make a choreography out of this? And she would make a stunning choreography. She just really has this, um, this talent for choreographing. Um, it was kind of an interesting contrast because then at the same time I was going to study with Ida Nora pretty regularly and she is not a choreographer or she wasn't, she wasn't really, she wasn't teaching choreography at the time. She was just dancing and I was just following her. So I had these two very different approaches, you know, Ratya is very highly choreographed and Ida Nora at, the, at that time wasn't. And so I was getting kind of both both worlds at the same time. And then once I started working, I would just take bits and pieces of what I was learning from both of them and put them on stage and like keep the one that worked and get rid of the one that didn't. Mm -hmm. So, but Ratya, I love Ratya. And then when I um, started Camp Nagum, my live music festival that I had for, I think eight years in Cairo, um, Ratya came and taught uh, twice. And she's just, yeah, she's just wonderful. I mean, the people, because we, when we would do our festivals, we wouldn't stop people from coming in. Like the the locals could come in and, and watch what was going on. And they would always see Ratya teaching. And then they'd always kind of, they'd just be on their way through, but then they'd stop and sit down and watch her and be like, wow. So yeah, she's, she's just a great character. Ah, that's cool. That's like those snippets of memories that really can give like, you know, show personality and show the i don't know the new the nuance and the colorful moment if i can put it this way uh, that's right. interesting she is a colorful character for sure <laughs> for sure i mean i think the first time i saw her she was wearing like um shiny leopard spandex an entire outfit of shiny leopard spandex you know and she i just thought wow <laughs> you know what i mean like she just has so much character yeah, that's definitely true. like I didn't have a chance like to work on a long time, but through a couple of workshops that uh, attended like here and there, it's always a an adventure and event <laughs> to study. It is an her. adventure. Yeah. Well, and we used to go to her house, you know, before she had all this these big train of students, and um, so you always were fed, you always had tea, 
and then you got your lesson. So it was kind of cute because there was always that warm, like friendly, very Egyptian way of greeting even a student, you know, someone she hardly knew. And the food was before or after class? <laughs> I think it was whenever it was put in your hand. You know, someone would always dish it up. And if you happen to be sitting there, a bowl of food was stuck into your hand. So, yeah, she's she's definitely cute. Mm. And your first performances in Cairo, was it, I assume, to live band? Yes. So I had actually, when I came to Cairo, I was going to study, and but I had in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want to get a job for three months. Can you imagine a, three, a job in Cairo for three months? So I had had a band lined up um, through contacts that I had met. So I had this band lined up that was supposed to be my band. Like if I got a job in Cairo, they were going to be my band. You mean, um, wait, 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 one second, just to clarify. You mean you contacted them yourself even before going to Cairo? I had a friend in Cairo who said, I'll arrange everything. So you mm -hmm. come here and take lessons and we'll try and get you a job. So it was all kind of, I was mostly going to take the lessons, but I thought, oh, I'll get the job to pay for the lessons in my <laughs> very <Wow>. naive way <laughs> of thinking that I could go for three months to Egypt and get a job and pay for all my dance lessons and my costumes. So um, there was this band that if I got this job, and so then I as I get there, they're like, well, you need paperwork in order to work in Cairo. So they start taking me around to these places uh, to get paperwork so that I can, um, that I can stay and work there. But after, after a few meetings, I, I start to realize that three months is not enough time to do all of this. So, and I'm taking lessons now and Ratyad makes this phone call and gets me this job in Sheraton, but they have their own band. So it's, it's a tact, so I think a six-member tact with a singer. Um, they all wore a tarbouche or tarbiche, you know, the, the hats. They were very cute. Um, but it was to live music, but it wasn't anything. I could have a maybe 10-minute conversation with them before the show. Hey, I want this or I want that. Can you play this emergence? You know, they, they did all the standards. Mm -hmm. um, but a cute story is I... I put my costume on, I go out, I dance my 15 minute show and I come back and I'm putting my clothes on and the, the, the lady that's in there dressing me who can hardly speak English, we're having a hard time communicating. She's like, why are you getting dressed? And I said, well, I'm done. And she's like, you're not done. <laughs> you have to do that two more times. <laughs> and I thought it was just this funny, you know, like, oh, I've done my 15 minutes. She's like, this show's like almost an hour, you know, you're, <laughs> you have a lot longer to go. Um, but that band, it was, it was frustrating in that I couldn't request, I mean, the music, I couldn't put my show together. It happened on the fly. It was um, kind of a fancy Lebanese restaurant. So people would request music from the band leader and he would take tips. So he would play whatever they requested. So I was pretty much, you know, dancing to whatever song they were happened to be playing, mm -hmm. which could be, could be frustrating, but it became really beneficial because um, I heard so much music. 
so many different songs over the year that I was dancing there. And um, later on, when I was, you know, searching for songs to put into my show, I would say, a, a band member would say, hey, what about this song? And I said, oh, yeah, I know that song. I danced to that. And they're like, hey, when did you dance to that? And I said, at Aladdin. And it happened over and over again. So I did learn a lot just by dancing to this music I didn't know. So you didn't know the songs that they are about to play and probably they would switch their playlist on a go if someone suddenly requested, oh, play this song now. So how did you actually memorize that? Oh, first of all, I actually have a question. Uh, how was that feeling of dancing to the song that you never heard? You may not understand the meaning. I don't know if at that time you spoke Arabic or not. Like, like you probably have no idea what the lyrics are saying. So how did you manage that? And how did you actually uh, memorize and recognize songs later? Because you mentioned that afterwards you uh, kind of like could like say, oh, this song I played around. So did you ask musicians? So it just was so often that later you discovered the names and meanings of songs. So how was that process? <laughs> So I didn't speak Arabic. I didn't speak a single word of Arabic when I showed up in Egypt. And dancing to songs, I quickly realized that the audience members knew 90% more about belly dance than I did in that situation. Because here they were they are requesting the songs. The band is playing the songs. They all know the songs. All the guests know the songs. This um, place was full of... Uh, upper class Egyptians and um, foreigners, mostly from Arab countries. So very few um, Western tourists. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, it was very frustrating in that I knew that the, the audience, I wasn't quite giving them what they expected as a dancer because I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. So I would just do movements. I would do my belly dance movements and hope that it kind of matched up with the music. And I think how I remember these songs, I remember music. It's just something about my brain. And so hearing it once or twice or three times, when I would hear it again years later, I would think I could remember the melody. And the interesting part though is when the singer would start singing the words to the song, I would think, wow, I know what these words mean. And back when I used to dance to that song, you know, when I first arrived in Cairo, I didn't know what the words meant. And it 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 gave me this like big bubble of like understanding, I guess, it, and all of this this uh, information to be able to work with the music when I knew what the lyrics meant. And I had that aha moment quite a few times dancing to songs that I did know the lyrics as opposed to not knowing the lyrics, you know, at different points in my career. Yeah, I can only imagine the feelings and frustration of like having to dance to a song that you don't understand in Cairo, in front of a Arabic audience. Like that's probably was really um, interesting experience. <laughs> How long it did was, you work at that place? I worked there for a year. So I would go and do like a 10, 10 o'clock show in this very fancy restaurant. And then I would go, I would wait around until about three in the morning and do a show in a bar, a very fancy bar um, later on. And I learned a lot from that place too, because that was a lot of like businessmen 
single businessmen. And then mm. um, that was a different band. That was a keyboardist and a small rhythm section. Mm. So same thing. I would dance to music I hadn't ever heard before. And what would be the main difference performing at a restaurant and performing at a bar? Because you mentioned, oh, you learned from there. Like, totally what, what... different. Yeah, it was totally different. Like the the patrons of the restaurant were these high class Egyptians. I mean, people saw my show there, and then ten years later, they hired me for their daughter's wedding. They're like, "We saw you when our daughter was fifteen. You know, I mean, it was so cute. They were just, they were so classy and so kind, and they would never say anything negative or derogatory. And um, like Zizi Mustafa saw my show when I was at the Aladdin, crazy stuff. Um, the bar, on the other hand, <laughs> people were drinking. Um, there was, you know, the first row of tables were reserved for prostitutes. You know, the 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 ladies that were there in the hotel, and um, the guests were not so kind. <laughs> I remember one time leaving the stage, and I kind of had to walk through the bar to leave the stage. And this old man at the bar, I walked by him, and he said, that was terrible. You were terrible in English. And I went home and I cried and I'm like, I'm not going back. I'm never going to do this again. And, you know, I got some pep talks from a few people and they're like, oh, it's just one person. But that guy sat there every show. He was always at the bar. And the next day I remember I had bought this red wig in Cairo, because everybody was wearing wigs at the time. So it was a full wig with bangs, and it was kind of this curly red wig. So I put this red wig on, and I did my show, the same show. I walked by the same guy sitting in the same chair, and he's like, you were great, so much better than that one last night. <laughs> and oh I thought, God. okay. <laughs> That's so funny and so frustrating also but also a great yeah. reminder for all dancers whenever we receive those comments uh, live or especially on social media it may have yeah. nothing to do with us actually <laughs> it may not it may not have anything to do with the person that's receiving that comment wow yeah wow. and I think that that was it just you have to be you have to be a pretty tough person to work in Cairo in many respects. And it was kind of my first one of my first lessons in toughening up a little bit. Mm. Uh, may I ask which lesson was the toughest? Oh, which lesson was the toughest? I I think in a way, a lot of dancers want to work in Cairo. I mean, it kind of, to some dancers, it's it's the ultimate thing to work in Cairo. And I think a lot of people will do, a, will go through a lot to work in Cairo. Um, when I came to Cairo, there weren't that many dancers. I, um, there weren't that many foreigners. It wasn't that, it wasn't that competitive. But there was, you know, different times when I felt that people were, were kind of, trying to get my job. And, and that was earlier in my career, like trying to, you know, using me to get to, to get a job in Cairo. So other dancers. And so I think the lesson that I took away, what I took away from that is separate myself from other dancers because they always want something from you. And I don't, 
I think, you know, looking back, I think that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made in Cairo is that I, I didn't have a big connection to the dance community in a whole. I just did my job in Cairo and lived my life. And I think I missed out on a lot of dancers because early on it, it felt, it, it felt competitive. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it always feels like competitive, but uh, I guess it's not like losing hope to find real connection among uh, right. dancers. And uh, um, it's a sad thing that among dance community, and it's not only about Cairo, it's even like I felt it a lot early in my days in competition world in like Ukraine and so it's the oh same like if you're not if you're coming to a competition and it's like from different schools dances you feel like almost like on the battlefield it's like okay uh and you, then it's, it's like it's, why why do we do it I've never seen anything like the competitiveness in the Ukraine okay granted you guys are amazing dancers and so it but what <laughs> it costs us <laughs> Of course, you have to be competitive because you're all so good. But yeah, it's I can imagine coming from that uh, dance culture. It was also you also felt the competition too. Mm-hmm. So you originally went to Cairo for three months. Uh, yeah. How many years you stay there? <laughs> Thirteen. Thirteen. Three. Thirteen years. Plus one in front and month in the taken away and put years there. Okay. <laughs> exactly. During your career in Cairo, uh, did you continue uh, working on your own and trying to figure out things on your own, or you actually start working with uh, managers at some point? Um, because of the band that I went that was there waiting for me to work, um, it kind of came with a manager. So I had a manager from the time that I started. And that, you know, that person took me to all the interviews, they took me to all the paperwork um, meetings. Uh, I had someone helping me the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, I got another job about, oh gosh, about eight months after being in Cairo on a boat that I did use my own band with, but I had already been doing weddings with this band that I had come to work with. Wow. So I did have, I had that manager um, who got me all of that, you know, in, in the beginning when, you know, when nobody knows who you are, it's all about if the manager can convince them that mm-hmm. you're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you grew up in such a, great performer that so many dancers are now getting inspiration and uh, seen as an example and you really built a career in Egypt because you don't only did like shows and like uh, restaurants and uh, weddings but you also even got uh, these collaborations with so many musicians uh, and singers uh, in Cairo you also even appeared in fashion magazines so it's like you kind of got into like this celebrity <laughs> persona. What was the thing with like fashion magazines? I keep seeing it from time to time that they like use ballet dancers as a model. So is it like a real thing in in Egypt? I um I had been a model be- before I was a dancer. 
So I had like early, early in my life, I modeled and did some, you know, runway stuff and I did some fashion stuff and photo shoots and things. And then I kind of just quit all of that when I started dancing. And so I remember I had, I had gone to a photographer to do some publicity headshots for, you know, the big posters that you see when you go see a, a dancer in Cairo and they have that big poster out front. So the photographer who's taking that picture, um, his wife was the makeup artist. So we're all chatting about this. And this is really early when I, uh, this was my picture for Aladdin, my first gig, right? So I'd been there a few months and we're chatting and she said, oh, you could be a model. And I said, oh, I used to do that when I was younger. You know, I was, I used to do that. And she said, well, we have a fashion show coming up in the four seasons. Do you want to be in it? And I said, okay, that sounds like fun. And from that fashion show, I got, I think, probably three different video clips and maybe two TV commercials. Within a few weeks of doing that fashion show, I had um, lined up all of these different uh, shootings, you know, with with different artists. And um, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of crazy because ah, it just quickly. Ah, interesting. Because I thought like it was uh, you were engaged as a ballet dancer, like in also doing yeah. profession. But you basically were you did two careers in Egypt basically at the same time. Yes. <laughs> and they were very separate for a long time. So I had my dance career, and everybody knew I was a dancer. And then I had my I guess you call it acting career. It wasn't really acting when I started. It was mostly like um, video clips and you know, TV commercials. I was really, <laughs> I must have made hundreds of TV commercials in Egypt. So, I mean, I was making like Vodafone and Mobanil, you know, two competitors. I would show up on, you know, in the same season in both of their commercials, Cadbury and, you know, whatever the other chocolate, Hershey's or whatever. So it happened a lot. Yeah, I made a lot of TV commercials. Okay, so this that was is kind of funny. Okay, and then, is... yeah, and then I started meeting artists because I would do their video clips. And so then we would see each other at weddings because then I was doing weddings. So it was kind of fun because it all, it started eventually to kind of come back around. And then I started doing some dancing in movies and in video clips and mm. TV shows and stuff. Okay, I have one not specifically dance question, but uh, I want to, to really ask it. In the in the your activities of commercial like shoots and things, what was the most Egyptian story that happened to you? <laughs> um, shooting a TV commercial? Yes. Mm. I well, I don't know if this is the most Egyptian story, but this is kind of funny. I I was dancing, I don't remember where I was dancing, but it was like a super late night thing. And so then I had to go directly from that club to the set of this TV commercial. And so I was going back and forth between the set and this club for like two or three days. So I hadn't slept in days at all. I was, you know, and of course I was young. It didn't matter. I was having fun, but I was so tired. Like I can't, I couldn't see straight. And so there was, um, I think it was a it was a TV commercial for furniture, 
So they had all these different sets up. They had like a living room and they had a dining room and they had a bedroom. Well, I was so tired that I they were shooting in the dining room. I went into the bedroom and I got into this the bed for the set. You know, it's all decor and everything. And I fell completely asleep. Well, they thought it was funny. And so they set the whole, I'm completely asleep. And they move into the bedroom and they set up all of the lights and the camera and the tracks and everything. And it's all set up and they're all kind of laughing, you know, because I'm, I'm like snoring, you know, while they're setting this. <laughs> up well they they bring the camera in and it's coming straight at it and then it does like a, a tilt down and they're practicing the camera shots while I'm asleep and they do a tilt down and they have a cache on the top of the camera that they forgot to screw in so when they tilt the camera down this huge heavy cache fell off the camera and it hit me like right in the middle of the forehead and so I'm bleeding and I couldn't finish the tv commercial and they were like oh my gosh we can't believe we did this to you Oh my but God. I woke up because the this cash had like gouged I my bet. head. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I don't know if it's the most Egyptian, but that's definitely no. a funny one. <laughs> I mean, sad at the moment, and now you like uh, laughing at it and remembering. Like, okay, another reminder about the importance of proper sleep. <laughs> right, <laughs> which I don't think I had for 13 years. <laughs> um, Yeah, because uh, Egyptian dance lifestyle, it's basically active during night, uh, sleep yes. during daytime. So what was your schedule? Uh, how did your schedule look like? Um, one of the first summers that I worked there, um, I had I was trying to learn to speak Arabic. So I had signed up for an Arabic language class and it was at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I think I went to two classes out of a month, two month class session because I couldn't wake up by three in the afternoon like and get myself to the class so it was crazy because that was during um I think that was during the Gulf War and so none of the Saudis could go to Europe or America so they all came to Egypt it was insane there were so many Arabs in Egypt the nightclubs would we I think I was doing from like three to five shows every night going from one place to another because their shows, like my last show would finish as the sun was coming up mm -hmm. and it was at an outdoor place. So it was pretty funny because we're like, ah, we have to get off stage before the sun's completely up. And so, yeah, we were staying up all night. We would go home when the sun would come up and that happened for, I think two summers, two or three summers where we would just do show after show all night long. And uh, how did it change later during years? Um, well, the Arabs, you know, stopped coming in mass like that because they Europe opened up and America opened up and they could travel other places. Um, but it was, you know, I mean, it's always a late night thing. You know, weddings sometimes start at four or five a.m. You know, when you're on stage, there was especially in Alexandria, like you go on late, late, late. Um, So, yeah, you just have to figure out how to sleep all day. <laughs> you mentioned that right in the beginning when you start ballet dancing and when you came to Cairo, like all you wanted was dancing, 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 dancing. And here, uh, there you were dancing all mm -hmm. night and I guess part of the day too. <laughs> um, how did it feel... Uh, internally like personally emotionally did you feel satisfied 
or uh, did it match your expectations of what you were coming and finally found it there? I think it did in the beginning. I was so just enamored by being there and by all the opportunities I was having. I mean, there were always, you know, there's always difficulties in Cairo. There's always difficulties, you know, but I remember the first time that I was hired to work at Samira Mies. And this is the place that years before I had seen Dina dance and I'd seen Lucy dance and um, I'd seen Fifi there also. And I remember the first time I, I went out on stage with my giant band, because it was the first time I'd had such a big band too, right? Because we didn't, we us, I usually worked with a small, probably, you know, between 10 and 13 piece band on this boats. And then the weddings would get a little bigger, but Samir Mies at that time wanted a whole bunch of people. And so I, I went out on stage and here's this band. So I kind of do a double take as I go out on stage, like, wow, there's a lot of musicians back there, you know? And I remember just being like, kind of like, I'm here, I did it, you know, I met some Miramis, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, you know, so I did the whole show like that. And um, there was a lot of that, you know, in the first few years of just like, this is amazing, I can't believe this is happening, I, this is, I can't believe I'm doing this, and, um, you know, that, I mean, it lasted for a while, and then, you know, you get used to it, and then, you know, of course, once you get used to something, it's it's not as exciting. Mm-hmm. But I always felt, it always felt kind of fun to me. And, you know, everything could go wrong. Everything could be terrible. I could be having a terrible day. Everything could be crap. And the minute I walked down on stage, it all kind of went away. And I always kind of refound the joy of what I loved and, you know, being on stage and, you know, just being around all these people who had come to see the show. And it, I don't know, it, I, always, I always could kind of, find that joy on stage, even though sometimes off stage it wasn't, it wasn't there. Mm, yeah. It was kind of hard, you know, living the opposite life of others in that you're awake all night and asleep all day. And that, you know, a lot of, I, a lot of your friends would be like, Hey, let's do this. And you're like, oh, I can't, well, if you want to go at like five in the afternoon, which, which sometimes worked, but you know, so the, like I'd go to the front, to the pool with friends from like, four to seven and then I'd come home and get ready to go to work so there was you know and there I had a lot of friends early on just I met a lot of people early on and the first few years yeah I felt really pretty good mm-hmm. you know as it as it went along it seems to get a little bit harder when you really care about your career and your image and all of those things yeah And 13 years later, you actually decided to uh, go back to U.S. Yeah. What was the decision, decision making point, I guess? I have two boys. Um, and I just, I just knew that they needed to be here to grow up here and, um, there, the opportunities for them there were were not what they are here in America. Um, one of my sons is dyslexic and has some health problems, and so um, things were just not going well for him. Um, things that have been sorted out since we've we've gotten here, 
into the to the states. So it was really a decision based on family. Mm. Well, I'm really and not on. Yeah, I'm really happy to to hear that it it worked out for better, like and it helps uh, this decision. Yeah. And uh, for your career. Um, so you were having like family and kids in Egypt. Did you continue like dancing, performing or already being a mother afterwards? Or you kind of like switched and twisted your career in different direction? No, I kept going when, after having kids. Um, I took probably six months off with each kid. And then, I mean, I danced with both my kids. I performed until I was, um, with the first one, I performed until almost five months and the second one about four months because I was really big. <laughs> um, and then was back at it, you know, I don't know, five months later. Wow, that's the only thing I can say. Not only like performing, still actively like doing all that amount of like gigs and physical like activity, uh, like in the beginning, like you know, like of pregnancy, and coming back so quickly to active performing, and with that lifestyle, um, and I can only imagine how probably like tough and difficult it was to combine all the things of like new, um, I don't know, like new uh, role of mother, new body, like not new body, but quite changed uh, body. And still trying to figure out all the performances, logistics, lifestyle, health style uh, related to dance career. That's that's a lot. Yeah, I when I first went back, I just I didn't really hold it together very well with working at I was working at uh, the boats. So I had two different boats I was working at plus weddings. And, and I was still shooting. Like if you, there's a Hakeem video that if you look in the background, you see someone pushing a stroller. It's not me, but it's my baby in the stroller because they were on, the, he was on the set with me. So they're like, oh, let's put him in the, as an extra. It was really cute. But um, I finally said something's got to give. And so I just quit all of my nightclub work. So I stopped working in the boats um, I only did weddings for about three years. And I thought that that was going to really like take a chunk out of my uh, earnings. But it ended up being such a good decision. I ended up doing so many more weddings. And those are so much easier because you can take a wedding or not take a wedding. Whereas if you work in a nightclub, you have to show up. So it really pushed my um, it really pushed my career forward. Uh, in terms of weddings and which is really where the money is m way much more so than in nightclubs yeah you know, so it was a really good decision you know I think and I got time with my kids yeah I mean my my first son you know we I spend all day with him you know and then I take him to the weddings with me because I had a, a nanny who would come with me so I remember you know it was pretty funny because he would fall asleep in the dressing room sometimes and it's like the noise is so loud and it's like, how can you do that? <laughs> well, now he's definitely noise resistant probably. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad skill to have, especially like living, you know, in the big cities with who knows uh, how noisy neighbors can be like close to you. So now he definitely will not have that struggle. <laughs> 
Not at all. <laughs> if it wasn't noisy, it's like you couldn't fall asleep. But you know, I think here are two very, very cool uh, examples of uh, really fascinating uh, uh, things and reminders. First is, it is possible to combine career and motherhood. If you really want, you don't need need to really refuse from one or another. Yes, it's probably, and I can only imagine, I'm, I'm sure you, you're talking right now very light and like, okay, like it was fun and cute, but I probably can imagine how physically even like tough it was. You come home, you want to sleep, but you wanted to, I know, I don't even need to describe. I'm pretty sure everyone can imagine, understand. But here it is like example, like you can do uh, both. Uh, and second example that really like got to me is that sometimes facing challenges and facing that we need to sacrifice something or to refuse from something can actually push us forward. And that's example what you were saying, like you had, to, you decided to give up like your nightclub gigs and boats and you thought, thought that, oh, you're sacrificing them you're like losing them but instead you opened door to more income with other kinds of performances and more time for yourself and for family so i just really wanted to highlight because this is such sometimes a block for so many people and you proved and showed that everything is in our power and we can figure out everything as we go right yeah. I mean, I am being light. There were some difficult times, that's for sure. I mean, the first day that my son started school, I finished a wedding and I came home and I fed him breakfast and I took him to school. So I hadn't slept. And then it was like an orientation. So I was there for hours. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I'm just going to, my head's just going to fall down and I'm going to fall asleep. Just don't and go it, to another know, set with another bed. <laughs> But also having kids in Egypt, too, as a, as a performer, um, especially a belly dancer. So, you know, at the time that I did have kids, you know, people would recognize me and, on the street. And um, it's, there were hard there were some hard things about having kids there in that society and, and people judging you as a dancer and as a mother. So there was, I mean, I, I think that was probably the most difficult thing. I mean, there were mothers who wouldn't let their kids play with my kids because I was a belly dancer. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely tough. Um, now you are back to U.S. Huh? How did you approach such a dramatic change in, uh, you know, surrounding, dance surrounding and things that influenced your dance career, because it was not for you. And I'm right now, I'm asking like you as a professional, because you as a mother, you, you already like mentioned it, that that was more decision like you as a mother, but you as a professional dancer, how was that transition for you? Oh, it was absolutely horrible. I think two years I was in depression. Um, after coming back to America and, um, you know, constantly second guessing myself and feeling like I'd ruined my uh, career and, you know, what have what had I done, that kind of thing. Um, I, I was optimistic when I first came back to America, thinking I could do what I did in, in Egypt here. 
and I quickly realized that you know, working with live music and and having um, a live music dance event and having a nightly um, gig was not possible at all. And so I think I had to face that over the first few years I was here and and completely um, come to terms with the fact that that was over in my life. So it was very difficult. That was very difficult. And did you transition into like more teaching activities or or you tried still like to find some performance activities, even if it's just like, you know, like part time, like not maybe a full time job as you had in Cairo. But um, did you consider at all even in the beginning to start teaching? Yeah, I mean, I had been teaching a lot before I left Cairo. Um, I I. When I first came back to America, I got hired to do all these gigs, you know, because all the old people I used to work with hired me to do, oh, you're back, now you can do these gigs. But it was, it just wasn't anything like I was used to. And it's um, it's not convenient to where I live. And so all of that, I thought, okay, no more nightclubs, not to mention the fact that I get up at 6 a.m. with my kids. It's just not possible to you know, stay up all night and then do the 6 a.m. thing. I mean, it was when I was really young, <laughs> but now forget it. Um, for teaching, yeah, teaching has developed. Um, I have developed, I did a few big festivals when I came back and it just didn't feel, it didn't feel comfortable for me, I guess. Um, a lot of the students I got, they would come to me and say, their only interest was I'm in a contest and I want to win this contest. How, how should I do it? Because I've judged a lot of contests, a lot in Russia, a lot in Ukraine, Japan. And, um, I think as I was struggling with my own career and then, you know, trying to approach students, um, who, who I knew would ha not have that career, I guess, I don't know how to say this, but the, the dance opportunities on stage are just not there in the nightclubs. The nightclubs really don't exist anymore in America where you can go perform nightly in a nightclub. Um, weddings, I know there's you know, a, a big conservative faction here in America where people don't want a belly dancer at their wedding, even if they're Arab. And so it was hard for me to teach students um, who I knew their only outlet would be to become teachers or to dance at, at festivals. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. it, it's a whole different thing. Like most of my private students in Egypt were other Egyptians um, who were just starting out saying, I want to I want to be a, a belly dancer here. I want to work in the nightclubs. What do I need to do? And so then I come here and they're like, how do I win a contest? And I didn't it was a hard transition for me because it wasn't what I was interested in, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, that slowly evolved into, a, a, I think the people that hire me to teach now are people who are really interested in the culture um, behind the dance. A lot of times when I teach now, there's live music, which has been amazing um, to meet all these musicians from all over the world. I. I have I had musicians only from Egypt for so long that I knew what I was going to get when I talked to these musicians. And now it's like a whole learning process of, oh, you know, the 
the canoe player is Iraqi and the um, you know singer is Moroccan and the drummer is you know Syrian and it's like okay we have to you know I have to kind of change my whole idea about what what I'm doing and and it's been such an amazing learning process. I've learned so much from the people that have hired me as a teacher since I've been back to the States. Mm. And what uh, um, about competitions? Why do you think uh, they didn't really compel to you as a uh, you know, direction to work with students for? Because one, someone can say like, oh, okay, it's also dance. It's still the dance, it's still belly dance, like, why just not to twist, like, what's the difference? Uh, personally, for you, and this is literally according, like, to your, you know, preferences, interests, whatever, but why do you think uh, uh, working with students who wanted to prepare for competitions didn't really appeal to you as a, I guess, a teacher and, I think, as a dancer, first of all? <laughs> well, I think it felt, it felt very in... It felt very like motive driven, I guess, as opposed to like this whole picture, you know, learning to dance with, you know, if you if you're interested in the culture behind the dance, it's like if you scratch the surface, it opens up more and more and more all these layers of of music and language and culture and um the competition world, at least when I first came back to America and it was really thriving. Right. Everything became a competition. It's not so much. I mean, after COVID, it's all kind of shifted, hasn't it? Yeah. But I think when I first came back, which would have been like six years ago, that was the main thing that was happening. People were going to competitions and I it felt like the dance was being pushed by this competitive um, uh, realm that it had been put in. And so I, I am not against competitions, and I think that you can get a lot of feedback, you can learn a lot from a competition, you meet amazing people, um, but it was difficult when most or the majority of the students were being driven in the, in their whole dance career by by competitions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it and I don't I don't fault anybody because there were there was nothing else. There was nothing to take the place of those competitions. And I guess my experience just didn't really um, jive with that at that time. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, total sense. Like, there are two things uh, here, definitely, that, first of all, ballet dance has two different worlds. It's one, what is happening in the Middle East, in Egypt, yeah. in, in other countries there. And the second world is ballet dance festivals. Which right. includes competitions, because people basically, the main drive, I think, or motivation for people who are really into competition is to build a career through competitions and become a festival teacher eventually. And that's two separate, completely two separate uh, things. And also different approaches in the, like, to ballet dance in different countries, because I have my experience, but I'm a little bit surprised to hear about this kind of experience in U.S. I thought it, it would be slightly different, because in um, I'm originally from Ukraine, and I started ballet dancing in Ukraine, and here it's all about competitions. Like, once per year you have your studio gala show, but the rest is just competitions. Every weekend somewhere you can go, competition, competition, competitions. And that sets a very different and specific let's say not different but specific tone to belly dance manner belly dance performances 
And then I moved to Canada. And for me, it was shocking. I was like, I first right away, I was start searching on Google. Okay, belly dance festivals in Canada, belly dance competitions. And I was like, wait, what? Like, there's almost none. I, I can't say that didn't exist, but it was just like a few at that time, at least. And throughout all the years that I left and lived in Canada, it was very like, Compared to like Ukraine, it was such a contrast. And I was like, okay, but what is going on? Where are the dancers? What are they doing? And I don't know about all Canada, but specifically in Toronto, it was actually the scene of gigza at clubs, restaurants, and weddings for immigrants from Egypt, from Turkey, from Iraq, from Iran, from all those countries. So there, I, when I remember when I just moved to Canada, I, I was like in dance, uh, univer- like dance program at university, uh, thinking about like competitions, festivals, theater shows, and I would never th- thought think about myself as someone who will go and dance at restaurant when I arrived to Canada because of approach to ballet dance and restaurants here in Ukraine, which I was raised with as a dancer. And then just like a year after being in Canada, I already like start trying gigs here and there. And then at some point I'm like, I'm full, t- I found myself a full-time performer just doing gigs basically. And I thought it would be the same experience more or less in United States and US uh, because it was, I mean, more or less the same years that you came back to US. So I thought it would be similar to Canada. Uh, I didn't think that it was actually so strong mentality forwarded on competition uh, activities in U.S. I think um, after I think after nine eleven, the club scene started to go down in America. So the Arab clubs started closing, and then you know by I mean by early let's say let's say like two thousand. 10 it it was the the scene was like almost dried up by 2015 there are very few arab clubs in america still functioning so or i mean yeah so it's like i think that we as belly dancers needed something to take the place of that because we needed we needed something to you know a place to perform so i think competitions took the place of that and I guess for me, what I did on stage in Egypt, you know, I hung out for an hour on stage with people. So it's a whole different thing. Like you come out, you do your emergency, that's like a big number. And then you do like a, a little song and then you just have all of these, this whole wave of a show that goes on for an hour and all of this, this, kind of information that goes into the show, all these different numbers, one after another, different costumes, sometimes with folklore dancers. And then when you go to a competition, you have one song, it's three and a half minutes, and you have to get everything out, you know, at on stage at that time. And it just, to me, was, it, it, it doesn't speak to the whole dancer, I guess. It speaks to what the judges want. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't feel like, it didn't feel to me from like what I, what I would love. You know what I mean? Even though I've judged a lot of competitions and I don't, I don't have anything against a, a competition. It just, as a teacher, it, 
I love all this history and all this, um, just the, these layers under what's happening on stage. So I think there that little flip in America, you know, as the nightclub started, you know, kind of going away. Mm -hmm. I think in, you know, in the late, you know, I, I don't even know when it started, but um, yeah, kind of sense. the... What is your favorite topic to teach? My favorite topic? I mean, anything Egyptian, really. <laughs> it kind of depends on, you know, I go through stages of, okay, now I love working with the Malaya, and now I'm you know, working with different emergencies. And now, um, I, d I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn these notifications off. It's my birthday today. So <laughs> people are messaging me. Oh my God. <laughs> Congratulations. And, I, <laughs> and so they keep popping up and I'm so sorry about that. It's making these little beeps. Oh my God. Congratulations. <laughs> and thank you so much for taking time today. Wow. <laughs> Oh my god, I don't know how I missed that part. <laughs> oh, not at all, not at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of go through stages of what I like to do um, with teaching. I mean, I've been able to teach with live musicians a lot over the last few years, and that is super fun. It's been great. Just amazing. Like I taught a, a belody class, and I had this um, Iraqi saz player, and he was playing Egyptian belody on his saz. And it was amazing, you know, just these collaborations between musician and dancer. And so I think, you know, whatever the topic is, if there's live music, it's it's always I always would go that direction first. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's so cool. And how about last uh, almost two years at this point? Because that was quite a shift uh, for all dancers all around the world. So yeah. How for you, like lockdowns and pandemics, how did they influence your dance activities? Oh, um, all of my yeah. workshops were canceled, you know, initially. Um, so there was like, there was a time when there was no, no dance activity. <laughs> um, a couple people put them online and that was actually kind of fun, you know, doing these, it, it felt new and kind of weirdly fresh to teach a class online. Um, I'm not one for technology. I'm not like, um, you know, leading the pack with like being online and all of that. So I was pretty slow to, uh, you know, to catch that boat. Um, other people kind of drug me into it. So I think it's been kind of nice. I've had, I finally got, um, I have a website and I finally got the ability to um, teach private lessons online through that. And so I've had uh, private lessons from people all over the world. And that's been kind of cool because I haven't left my house, you know. And so um, I enjoy that for sure. It's been a little bit lonely, I guess, in terms of dance and that you don't get that, you know, connection of being around people and yeah, the, there have been a few events that have happened and you know, those make you really treasure the time you do get to spend around other dancers. At this uh, point of your life and your dance uh, career, what do you wish for yourself as a dancer? I feel like I just want to be comfortable in my own skin. 
and just say, this is who I am and this is how I dance. And just to keep learning. I mean, since I've been back to the States, I've, I've learned so much from the people that I've met and um, I've learned so much from the dancers that I've met, no matter what level, students, other teachers, just, I think Americans are so free, you know, they'll, they're not bound by these um, kind of rigid ideas of what belly dance should be. And the Middle East, it's, you know, everyone knows what a belly dancer should dance like, but here people don't, they're not bound by that. So I love like, you know, the, the idea of culture and this freedom. And so I hope for myself that I can, I can express everything that I brought with me from Egypt, but in my own, through my own American eyes. Mm. Well, I definitely wish you this dream come true and this uh, finding your happy dance place uh, in your own, you know, in your own skin. Uh, I definitely wish you all the best sincerely uh, for your dance career, yeah. for your family, that everyone will get healthy and feel like good and uh, staying safe. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, new discoveries that hopefully you will make and hopefully you will share with our dance community <laughs> and really wishing you like that they will be Uh, only, um, you know, the whole conversation, I have such a great impression of you as a very light and optimistic person, because there is there's so many things that you said kind of like, oh, this happened. And I was like, I can only imagine what it was actually. And you, you're saying it's so like light and optimistic and with such like, almost like nostalgia memory about like sometimes like passing by and I, I bet they were not always like happy and light. There were a lot of tough things there, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but I wish you that like this new discoveries and new dance chapters, not one, but chapters that come in in the future, that each of them will be even lighter and happier. So it will have less and less and less of tough moments. How it was oh, possible thank you. in the past. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so sweet. <laughs> And also, I have a couple more questions just before I let you go and celebrate your birthday. <laughs> okay. uh, but first, first of this question is, um, so how can our listeners connect with you and how they can find more about your activities? Like you mentioned, you have a website. Do you have maybe also some favorite social media where you from time to time at least post or is it like best, like, you know, website and email? <laughs> oh okay I, i took a break from social media um about a couple years ago and it was only supposed to be you know how people are going on social media breaks and like you you don't do this you don't do instagram or facebook for a month well my month turned into like two years now so i'm <laughs> I'm not very good. You can't just go on my website and see, or on my social media and see what I'm doing because you'll see what I did two years ago. Um, so I do have a website and it's sometimes up to date. <laughs> I put, what I've done recently is put some classes on um, my website. So if you would like to 
take a class over Zoom, you that opportunity is there through my website. Um, all of my music that I produced is there. Um, maybe I'll start doing Instagram again. <laughs> we'll see who knows. That's maybe a, it's a new point. <laughs> Like how to function, um, how to do social media and still have a life. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's true. You also have a pretty cool YouTube channel with some videos, uh, or at least I saw YouTube videos, maybe not on your YouTube channel, but you did quite uh, several like lectures about Chabi, uh, and they are available on YouTube, which is very cool, and I encourage people to listen. Uh, what is your website? It's lilaDance.com. So L-E-I-L-A dance.com. So all listeners yeah. can memorize and uh, find you. Well, <laughs> I messaged you on social media, so at least they can message and contact you for more information and classes. And I will Absolutely. definitely put links in the show notes. So for all our listeners who listen right now, you can easily find them uh, there and contact to our amazing guest. And before I ask you our final question, I once again want to thank you so much for spending this time with us, for time traveling through basically the whole career. And I know we jumped like, you know, it's just highlights from here to there. But also thank you especially thank you for taking time on your birthday and agreeing to schedule in this interview i really highly appreciate and uh, i really hope wish you all the best uh, for this new year of life but in general like with all your new like you know discoveries explorations dance projects whatever you want to put for yourself i really uh, wish you good luck and uh, oh, all the best with that <laughs> Good luck with you and everything you're doing. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's a such a great resource for our dance community. And I applaud you for it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I would like to summarize our interview with our traditional question. So I have one question which I ask every single guest, uh, regardless of what we talked during. And the question is... What makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? Oh, the music. The music. I I hear music and I can't sit still. So Arab music, it just it, it feeds my soul. Um, I think I was the only foreigner in Cairo who had my car radio station tuned to classic Arab music. <laughs> Other foreigners would get in my car and be like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, wait, shh, I like this part. You know, I just, I love, I love the music and it, it's so inspiring to me uh, as a dancer. I, it, it just is the thing that makes me want to dance. Mm -hmm. To just be able to visually interpret, you know, the beauty of Arab music or the the sassiness or the playfulness or the, you know, what be it. And that's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.